Welcome to Vincent Price's Laugh. Good evening, Andrew. That's my line, LB. Not tonight. No? No, for it is Halloween night. You ready to do the Monster Mash? No. You ready to do the weird Watusi? No. No? No, I don't dance. I can dance, but I don't. Well, I don't dance either, so it's okay. Being that it's Halloween night, what could we possibly be talking about on Halloween night? Maybe Halloween, the movie? No. No. How about Halloween 2? No. No, not that one? Rob Zombie's Halloween. Ugh. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Double ugh. Halloween 4? What? 5? No. 6? Mm-mm. Halloween water? What? I mean, H2O. What? Sorry. Halloween 20. Hmm, no. Halloween 3? Oh, okay. First, there was Halloween. Then the terror continued with Halloween 2. Now, Halloween 3. The night no one comes home. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. Happy Halloween. Rated R. Hey, where's Michael Myers? This ain't no... Honey, honey, Michael Myers ain't in this one. I told you about 30,000 times. But it ain't no Halloween movie if it ain't got Michael Myers. Honey, Michael Myers is not... He's only on the TV in this one. It's like they're watching AMC. What? In this one. That's the only place that Michael Myers is in. I don't know. You talking crazy. Honey, just, just quiet and watch movie. And scene. All right, so Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I like it. So do I. This is a film that is notoriously unpopular, except that it's actually very, very popular. Only within the last five years. Yeah, so this movie was not popular at all when it came out, which you would not even know today because everybody sings its praises. Like anyone you talk to, any blog you read, absolutely just in love with this film. And with good reason. Yeah, absolutely. It's a genuinely creative, entertaining, weird movie. Yeah, it's an original horror tale. So Andrew, go ahead and tell the folks at home what this movie is about. All right, so the story starts with a man being chased by some other sinister men in suits, and this man gets in harm's way and is hurt, mortally wounded. And another man, gas station man, he helps the guy get to the hospital, Mm -hmm. wherein the man who is wounded is in the care of our hero, Dr. Tom Atkins, who later everybody loves from Night of the Creeps, but this is our major introduction to him being kind of the gruff, badass, devil-may-care kind of character that he's well-known as playing. And over the night, one of those suited men comes in and kills the patient. The patient's daughter comes in the next morning to identify the body, and she and the doctor agree to investigate together this mysterious weird thing that happened to her father. Right. Which leads them to this small town, which is a factory town, where they make novelties and... Halloween masks. Yes. Which is a big deal in this story, since it's around Halloween, and this company called Silver Shamrock has produced a series of three masks, which is... A pumpkin, a witch, and... Skull. So these masks, they are really pushing them hard. I think definitely locally. I don't know how big the region is. Right. But they're really, really pushing them on TV. There's a jingle that goes all throughout the movie. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. And you hear this 
throughout the movie as the television is on advertising the masks for all the children to wear and buy and get their parents to buy and all that stuff. So in their investigation, they end up presenting themselves as a couple who owns like a novelty store or something, and they're interested in the Silver Shamrock line, so they get their foot in the door that way, where they meet the owner and proprietor, who is this regal old man sort of upper crust styled man. He's uh, in a suit at all times. He's very much about business. Played by Dan O'Hurley. You might know him as the guy from Robocop who yells, Dick, you're fired! Thus letting Robocop do his job. So he obviously is the bad guy. When it comes down to it, there's a lot of technology involved, robotics, strange mind control, and ultimately the goal of this sinister mask making company who is behind the death of her father, is to basically sacrifice a bunch of children on the night of Samhain. Samhain, however you say it. <laughs> Halloween, basically. A mass child sacrifice. Because if they wear the mask, something's gonna happen to them. Especially if they watch that television broadcast. Yeah, that's something that I, I don't quite remember picking up on is like how widespread is this the distribution of the silver shamrock yeah. mask like does it go all over the country or are they international is it just california <laughs> right but that's interesting though yeah so this is back in 82 so i'm not sure how the cable coverage or the television coverage the satellite coverage and so on you know because we have regional ad space that we buy if we want to advertise anything mm -hmm. for our small business we buy it and throw the commercial up there and for that region only people will get it so yeah this is this is an interesting thought how far does this nefarious warlock's tendrils reach because <laughs> that's what he is silver shamrock is run by a warlock right which is kind of confusing to me because i think season of the witch like i don't really see any witches in this except for the mask obviously sure when i first watched this i thought that it was some sort of alien story oh i didn't really get the witchcraft thing well it's there he even explains it at a point halloween the festival of Samhain. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red with the blood of animals and children. Sacrifices to the part of our world, our craft, witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. It's not so different now. It's time again. In the end, we don't decide these things, you know. The planets do. They're in alignment, and it's time again. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. And happy Halloween. <laughs> they knew the madman explanation of what he's doing at the end. You know, <laughs> right, okay. it, it does have an, a little bit of telltale old villain story tropes where the villain has the heroes and then he's like, well, as long as I have you, I just want to gloat and tell you what my plan is. Yeah, yeah. And then kill you. Not tell you my horrible plan, and which motivates you to actually stop me. <laughs> but by the end of it, does he stop them? It cuts right before we know, which is brilliant. Yeah, that's true. I like when movies do that, when it's completely open-ended. Yeah, it's really great. Now, the reason why I was confused about the witchcraft angle, really, is because it's not your typical representation of what you would think witchcraft is. Right. Up until that point, they've always been ladies, or maybe a warlock in a cloak. Right. And this one is, it's more technological. Yeah. He's got robot minions. Right. That 
use yellow goo. So Tommy Lee Wallace, the director, he described this film as witchcraft meets the computer age. Right. That's he doesn't get to because this is 1982 again. There's no like banks of computers all over the place <laughs> or like hovering screens like we do like minority report or anything so it's not like super technological but it has the whole robot angle and it has signals coming through the television yeah to interact with the masks that the kids are supposed to be wearing right because there's a chip in the back of the yeah, mask the silver shamrock chip which is so cumbersome to me and I want to just take it <laughs> off like if I were to get one of those masks I would have taken that chip <laughs> off yeah I think so too and worn the mask and then been like yeah okay what's supposed to happen <laughs> yeah. during this song what's supposed to alright this is okay I've heard this song all, all like for like all month okay <laughs> yes that's it hey I'm gonna call up my friend Bobby Bring. what Bobby's dead his face exploded into snakes and insects he what? That doesn't make any sense at all. Happy Halloween! Yeah, so that, that's all because I took the chip off the mask. So the Warlock has this big company, and, and it's presented as a big company. Mm -hmm. The theme is the people are being screwed with by a giant company, and they must be stopped. Yeah. Which is a John Carpenter theme throughout most of his career. Yeah, they live, escape from New York. Escape from Newark. <laughs> escape from LA, escape from Louisiana. <laughs> I wonder if anybody actually screwed up and was like, I won't, I won't see that movie Escape from Louisiana. Yeah, I doubt it. Well, what do you mean? L L Louisiana, right? L.A.? No? Los Angeles? What is that? So, I think one of the reasons why this movie failed is because it was unlike anything at the time. There were movies, okay, I'm going to mention something that you're kind of annoyed with right now, just because you just won't stop hearing about it. Phantasm. It came out in 1979, <laughs> a couple of years before this, and that movie was ahead of its time, and there's still nothing quite like it. As flawed as they are, the series, there's nothing quite like it. Rings true with this movie as well. There's nothing quite like it. That's true. It was very ahead of its time, even... Our beloved Adam Wingert says it's ahead of its time. Yeah, he did say that it was a precursor to our more conspiracy-oriented era of culture, really. Oh, right, yeah. Like, don't believe the company. Yeah, corporations are bad. They're faceless. They're bad guys. They're nefarious. But I was just thinking, this guy just seems like a smaller corporation. He doesn't seem that huge. Well, we don't know. I guess, well, I guess he can afford... National advertising? And all that stuff. <laughs> but he has robots doing his work for him. And he has, I'm sure he has a staff to maintain those robots, but that's probably it because the robots are doing all the work. Well, there's a staff of people in the office. Yeah, but they're just, they're just office workers. They're like secretaries. Yeah. Maybe they're in on it or whatever, but it's not what I'm getting at. Oh. I'm getting at he's pocketing all the money and all that stuff. But but his end game isn't money. He needs all the money so that he can produce these things to ship them out to people and kill them. And another big theme of this film is consumerism. Yeah, of course. Which is undoubtedly one of America's biggest weaknesses. We are so very easily manipulated by marketing and that is a big reason why these anti-consumerist messages are so interwoven through tons of horror movies. Particularly John Carpenter movies. Yes. Oh, well, okay, if you didn't know, we didn't really mention this, and you should already have known because you're listening to this. John Carpenter produced this movie, so no, undoubtedly he promoted the ideas. 
I'm sure he wouldn't be like, consumerism? What? That tired old chestnut. No way, make it about something else. They were friends, right? So they, they probably had uh, similar viewpoints on Yeah, what I'm saying is he probably things. encouraged it, is what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. As a producer. Right. So these kids want the silver shamrock masks because why? TV said so. They turn on their TVs at 9 p.m. on Halloween night because why? TV said so. And that is, I think, the core of this film and what makes it so scary is that very realistic commentary on how easily manipulated we are as people. You dangle a shiny object in front of just about anybody, we're gonna look. Yeah. And then you take it away real quick and say, hey, we'll show you it again at 9 p.m. on Halloween uh, for okay. longer. Oh, longer? Yeah. Okay. And something else, maybe. What's the other thing? <laughs> You'll just have to tune in. What? Mystery. No. The J.J. Abrams What's in the Box Theory. Oh, no. Yeah, this movie's really influential on a lot of things, I think. Now, what these kids want because of these commercials, what these store owners are going to the factory for to sell are masks. And these are actually pretty dang great masks. Yeah, they are. Very iconic. The sculpts are exquisite. Yes, the studios who make costumes and Halloween masks are very good at what they do. And the way that they've shaped Halloween as a culture is so interesting. Just how interesting? Well... As mass production of commercial Halloween costumes began to flourish in the early 20th century, a few big names in mask and costume making emerged as the kings of Halloween. Companies like Ben Cooper, Collegeville, Topstone, and Don Post Studios all contributed to the development of generation after generation of self-proclaimed monster kids. It was these companies that shaped what Halloween was and what it would become. So let's take a closer look. Founded in 1937, Ben Cooper is most famous for producing the flimsy plastic face covering masks with a thin elastic band to keep them in place. If you're over the age of 30, you're likely familiar with these masks. The costumes were immediately popular due to the ease of availability and affordability. At the time, the most prominent costumes were traditional Halloween figures, witches, ghosts, goblins, skeletons, devils, and the like. But by the 1950s, as television became more a part of children's lives, the industry took notice, and companies like Ben Cooper and its rival Collegeville began obtaining licenses for many popular cartoon and live-action TV characters. Side note to all you comic geeks, Ben Cooper gave Marvel their very first merchandising deal. In the 50s, Cooper had been selling an unrelated Spider-Man costume that featured a mask with a web around the eyes and the words Spider-Man on the forehead. When Marvel trademarked the name in 1962, Cooper immediately licensed the character and remodeled the old costume. Coincidentally, it was rumored that legendary comic artist Jack Kirby had designed the original Cooper Spider-Man costume while freelancing. It's widely thought that the influx of licensed characters revolutionized the way we think about Halloween costumes. No longer were we the boring, generic ghost. 
we were the highly recognizable Casper the Ghost, and no longer would our choice of costume be confined to just a ghost, witch, or skeleton. Because of pop culture and licensing, costume possibilities became unlimited. Business flourished through the decades, but costume manufacturers suffered heavy financial losses following the Chicago Tylenol murders in 1982, when a small group of individuals, including a 12-year-old girl, were killed after consuming cyanide-filled Tylenol capsules. Paranoid parents feared product tampering and were reluctant to let their children go trick-or-treating. Although rumors of poisoned candy were false, the Tylenol scare complicated public opinion, and Halloween was left by the wayside that year. To scare up interest again, Ben Cooper played an integral role in the formation of the Halloween Celebration Committee in 1983. The committee was made up of several costume and toy makers, including Collegeville, Topstone, Don Post Studios, and the Toy Manufacturers of America. The group published a pamphlet entitled 13 great ways to celebrate Halloween, which included party and makeup tips, magic tricks, and DIY decoration instructions, as well as histories of traditional Halloween symbols and imagery. There were pumpkin carving tips and recipes, and even suggestions for public relations and budgeting for your community's Halloween event. The aim of the pamphlet was to reassure the public that Halloween was safe. Consequently, business began to recover. But the late 80s turned out to be not so kind to Ben Cooper, as the company filed for Chapter 11 in 1988. To make matters worse, a year later, the company's production facility in Georgia burned to the ground, destroying millions of dollars in unsold inventory. It all came to a final close in 1991 when Cooper filed Chapter 11 for the second time. Some say a big contributor to the relapse in business was the popularization of the over-the-head latex masks in the 1980s. There is some breaking news, however. As of October 2016, the Cooper family is back in business. Fans can rejoice! There's a new website, bencoopercostumes.com, where, as of this recording, a store is listed as coming soon. So another company to come out of the 1930s was Topstone. Topstone masks were made popular by famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Topstone employed artist Keith Ward to design their ghoulish creations. Surprisingly enough, he had already gained notoriety by illustrating classic children's books like Dick and Jane and The Black Stallion, as well as doing advertising work such as Elsie the Borden Cow. Now, Ward created all of the iconic Topstone characters, like the shock monster, female vampire, ghoul, caveman, gorilla, and so many more. What was cool about the Topstone masks were that they were made of latex, not disposable like the Ben Cooper or Collegeville plastic masks. To the delight of monster kids everywhere, these masks were meant to be kept and played with all year. Which leads us to the star of this show, the incomparable Don Post Studios. Don Post Sr. began his journey into mask making as a fan of the circus. Fascinated by the full head masks worn by the circus performers, Post set out to make his own. The very first mask he made was Eski, the Esquire magazine mascot. He then designed masks of Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, and Benito Mussolini, a collection called The Dictators, for sale at Chicago department stores. In the 40s, Post relocated to California after procuring a deal with Universal to manufacture an over-the-head mask of their famous Frankenstein monster. Post quickly made a name for himself by designing and manufacturing costumes and masks for film studios, theater shows, and magic acts. It's important to note that these Hollywood deals weren't only for commercial sale. For example, in the 50s and 60s, Post made props and life masks for use in studio productions, as well as products for the home market. 
Rocket. Among countless others, DPS made the alien pods for the 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, appliances for the mutation scene in the Haunted Palace, and a foam latex mask of Peter Lorre for stunt work in Comedy of Terrors. The studio's resume also included life masks of famous actors such as Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and Vincent Price. The most famous masks DPS produced for the home market were the very versatile Tor Johnson mask from Plan 9 from Outer Space, and the otherwise unsuccessful Star Trek series that included the William Shatner Captain Kirk mask made famous by John Carpenter's 1978 classic Halloween. Like Topstone, Dawn Post Studios gained popularity through ads in Famous Monsters of Filmland. Vern Langdon, DPS co-owner in the 60s, had cut the word Monsters out of the magazine's logo to use in a flyer for the studio's new Monster series. The flyer was distributed to novelty and costume shops everywhere, and rather naively, Langdon sent one to the publisher of Famous Monsters. Langdon then received a call from said publisher, offering that they could avoid a lawsuit if Dawn Post would sell masks through the magazine. Sales for Don Post Studios also suffered in the 80s, resulting not only from the Tylenol scare, but also the AIDS epidemic caused a nationwide shortage in latex. As demand for latex gloves and condoms rose, prices of latex skyrocketed, which drove the studio's profit margin way down. During this time, DPS stayed afloat by partnering with a Collegeville company to produce their cheaper rubber masks, such as the 1986 Freddy Krueger mask. That's the one with the foam hat. Finally, in 2012, Don Post Studios, led by Don Post Jr., revealed they were calling it quits. The announcement was subsequent to the reveal of their 2012 catalog, which featured the much-anticipated re-release of the Silver Shamrock masks from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Disappointed fans were alleviated, however, when Trick or Treat Studios picked up the license to produce replicas of those masks, which are still available through their website today. Absolutely the most iconic thing about Halloween 3 is those silver shamrock masks. Uh, I think maybe the jingle and then the masks. <laughs> okay, if you're going iconic, like visually, obviously yes. the masks. But if you're going by the whole spectrum of visual and oral, <laughs> I think the jingle. Oh, make it stop already. <laughs> Just stare at the TV at 9 p.m. and... Uh, you know it's just the London Bridge song, right? Yeah. Okay. So Deborah Hill, one of the producers of this film and the other Halloween movies that came before it, went to Don Post because they didn't have a lot of money in the budget to spend on making props and they had already dealt with Don Post before with the shape mask. Oh, uh, that's the other name for Michael Myers, everybody. God, I didn't want to mention his name. <laughs> so they worked out a deal and that deal was that Don Post would turn down any kind of upfront money in favor of exclusive rights to the merchandise. Ah, so it's a George Lucas situation. Yeah. So these masks that were produced for the home market were the very first to be exactly the same masks from the movie. Oh, wow. And Don Post thought that they could be a cult hit, and he envisioned fans buying the masks and wearing them 
when they went to see the movie. And another way they saved a little bit of money is that the witch and the skull masks were modified from already existing masks in the DPS catalog, but the jack-o'-lantern was made exclusively for the film. So, which mask is your favorite? I don't know how to choose between them. I, I think the skull is really badass. But I really like the witch too. Yeah. I mean, the jack o' lantern is pretty awesome. I, I think my favorite is the jack o' lantern, and my second favorite is the skull. Oh. I'm not cool with witches, man. <laughs> Green pointy nose wart witches. I like them. I like mm. that that classic witch. Uh uh-uh. uh. Roll over and kiss that face in the morning. No. But I do like the jack o' lantern a lot. He's he's a bit cute actually if you think cute. about it. Cute. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Come on, I'm a tough dude. I'm allowed to like cute things every once in a while. <laughs> I have a kitten. You know, we talked about the themes in this movie a little bit ago, and even Don Post has a commentary on America. He says, Every society in every time has had its masks that suited the mood of society. Oh. People want to act out a feeling inside of themselves. Angry, sad, whatever. Huh. And he says it may be a sad commentary, on present-day America, that horror masks are the best sellers. Well, currently, in today's climate, the clown mask is the hot seller. I don't know why, because they're uninspired. Well, the very first Halloween movie had a weird clown mask at the very beginning. And then the remake had a, the only clown mask that I like. Oh, the Collegeville one? Yeah. That's the only design of any clown that I've ever liked. It's just great graphic design. Yeah, you said it reminds you of ice cream? Yeah, for some reason, I just go, ice cream! <laughs> like an ice cream truck rolling by. Yeah, yeah. Isn't there one of those ice cream pops? Yeah, it might be. That's clown-shaped? Yes, there is. And I'm not even fond of those kinds of ice creams, but it just reminds me of summer and ice cream, or like the waning days of summer into autumn. And it's just bright and awesome. It's yeah. really good graphic design. No, I like it too. Yeah, and it's sad to me that it has to be in Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> Those movies are terrible. Very trying of the patience. Yeah, you can tell we don't like the rest of the Halloween series or the remakes. But they're partially responsible for the big clown thing, I think. And then, of course, another Tommy Lee Wallace movie, It. Yes. From the early 90s, Big Clown. Really big clown presence there, played by... <laughs> Tim Curry? Yes. And it's a fantastic job. It's a very creepy clown. So these clowns are just, this is the big hot seller right now. And I don't really get it. Never been too fond of clowns. My dad was a clown for church during the harvest festivals, which is not Halloween, <laughs> but basically the same thing. Ironically enough, also harvest festivals are not a Christian thing. They're a pagan thing. Yet Christians have co-opted it so that they don't have to have Halloween. Yeah, okay, so you dressed up in a costume? Yeah, but it's not spooky. Did it, you eat candy? Yeah, but it's not spooky. It's still Halloween. It's, but it's a harvest festival. Because you eat candy during a harvest? Yes. But... Candy corn. Oh. Which is harvested from candy corn fields. Children, Children of, of the, the candy, candy corn, corn. fields. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, it didn't make any sense to me as, as a kid growing up. So I didn't really do Halloween a lot, but I witnessed it on television and stuff. And I still never really cared to do the crazy Roseanne Halloween thing. You know, like big old giant Halloween party and they have scare rooms and whatever. But I, I didn't 
not enjoy it. I just did never have opportunity to enjoy it in person. But I did give out candy on Halloween if I was home. Well, that's good. I didn't deprive the rest of the neighborhood. Well, that's important. Now, I found a photo of you dressed up as a clown for Halloween. If that was Halloween 1982, I was one year old. Yeah, well, you should figure out how to make decisions at that age because you're a clown. My mom sewed that costume, so... You could have been like, goo goo gaga, gaga gaga mom. Nah, uh gaga gaga, uh-uh. I think I was a really cute clown. You were still a clown. Whatever. You're a clown every day in real life. It's true, I just... You have clown feet. <laughs> so Halloween 3 is the anomaly of the Halloween series. It, it came into play and then went immediately out of play. You got picked up with Halloween 4 all the way to the remakes and all those movies are Michael Myers centric films and if you've ever seen them all they get bad from 4 onward. <laughs> Definitely. The only decent one after that is H2O with Jamie Lee Curtis back in the saddle but ultimately that's also a weak entry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, after the success of the first Halloween in 78, John Carpenter and Deborah Hill were super excited to get the opportunity to go forward on kind of a, a dream project that they had, which was a film franchise that would showcase different creepy stories all taking place on Halloween night. But the executive producers were so hot for a sequel to the Michael Myers story that they greenlit production for Halloween 2 just like immediately. But a Michael Myers centric Halloween yes. 2. Picking yes. up immediately where the first one left off. Right. In a hospital. And it's not a bad movie. No, it's not. And it was successful. It brought in over 10 times its budget in the box office. Well, that's, that's a good thing. But that's also a bad thing for this concept of a new horror story every year. Yeah, Carpenter and Hill and Tommy Lee Wallace pretty much thought that the Meyer story had run its course by that time, which it really had. Yes. And, you know, even though, like you said, Halloween 2 is pretty capably handled and had the involvement by all the key players. Yeah, I think so under duress. They were just contractually obligated. I, probably. You know. So they were. That's why they eventually sold their stock. Yeah, And yeah. they sold the rights to the name and were like, eh, it's not ours anymore. Yeah. because dang it right it hadn't reached that level of those excruciating to watch sequels yet no it hadn't <laughs> it was good or good enough i would say but my problem with it is it does involve too much of backstory and like family issues that make michael human i mean it starts that mm, yeah yeah so they wanted to return to their original idea of doing these episodes making an anthology series out of the halloween franchise how great would that be that would be awesome I think it would be super cool. And it was gonna, I heard that even after this, they were going to try to do something similar and change the way Michael Myers was because the producer, Mustafa Akkad, was adamant that they use Michael Myers. That's his cash cow. I read that there was an idea for Halloween 4 where they were actually going to have the ghost. It was gonna be a ghost of Michael Myers. What? Movie. Ghost of Michael Myers. Wh huh? Yeah, I don't, there was a treatment or a script already written and they were like, yeah, but no. But dang it, that would have been better than what we got. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> so Halloween 3 was considered a flop at the time, even though it did make money. Not as much as Halloween 2, but... Confused audiences. Yeah. Word of mouth damaged the reputation of it. Where's Michael Myers? Yeah, yeah As I yeah. said, he's, he's just on the TV. Right. And also, Universal just did not support 
support this film at all. They wanted Wallace to change the ending. Oh my gosh, but that's so good. That's so good. Yeah, yeah but it, they pressured John Carpenter into trying to pressure Wallace into changing the ending, but you know, John Carpenter, he's not going to be pressured by anybody. So he was like, hey man, I'm leaving it in your hands. If you want to keep it the way it is, then keep it the way it is. So he, he just he passed on the message instead of pressuring. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so Wallace was like, no, I think I'll keep it. That's the way the story goes. That's organically perfect ending. It's yeah. great. It's just so good. Cut. Yeah. And then what? 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 Did he? Did he? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. And it's good that way. Yep. So Elby, you've heard me ever since you've known me say Halloween 3 is the best of them all. Yeah. I love it. And I show it to you and you're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you were a fan of the first one in particular. I really loved the first Halloween. I took some film classes in college because I'm a cliche, but <laughs> <laughs> we studied the first Halloween and... You became a big fan of it. Yeah, absolutely. But when I came along and I'm like, Halloween 3, no, th this is, you gotta watch, this is different, this is totally not, no, we gotta, and you were like, yeah, okay. And by the time you were done watching it... Yeah, I had heard of it, but never seen it. I really liked it and I'll tell you why I think in order to have a really great horror movie you need to blend some other genres in there as well and this movie does it very capably there's suspense there's humor there's freak out times there's gore there's really scary imagery it's a detective story like like a sleuth story like a in a way a hardy boys thing without the boys and instead it's a guy and a lady it's the hardy boys meet nancy drew a hardy boy was a doctor and nancy drew the daughter of that guy but it's that sort of like skulking around the dark shadows trying to figure things yeah. out da -da 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 -da. And what's cool about it is Tommy Lee Wallace developed his characters in such a way that they don't actually need too much development, if you follow me. I would like you to expound upon that. Okay. Can you? You don't see too much about Tom Atkins or Stacy Nelkin's character backstory. You're thrown into the story, and it doesn't take much setup for you to be with them. Right. Like, you're there with them from the get-go. So they're fleshed out characters before you even meet them. Yeah, and it's tricky because I mean, it's done so well, you feel like you know them. You don't need to know their backstories. You know the thing that I was talking to you about, how people in relationships in movies don't ever do goofy things? Yeah. Just anybody's relationship. Like, they have certain tics. Some people might slurp their coffee in a particular way that they think is hilarious or something. And other people might do-do-do-do-do like their favorite tune like that yeah uh, me i do stupid voices all the time or whatever and we never see these things in movies well tom atkins in this movie doesn't necessarily do goofy crap like that but he's he's overly flirtatious which seems like a character thing like it, that's his character he's just he's just a guy who's a big flirt uh-huh and it seems like a real thing yeah, I think so too. So I think this is a character thing that he does. Well, now you know a lot about him just by this one scene where he's walking down the hallway flirting with somebody. You know a ton about him. It tells you how confident he is, tells you also how overconfident he is or how much he's compensating for in other areas and all that mm -hmm. stuff. He's, it's really subtle and I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, and you don't have to have dialogue revealing things about characters. Like you're just shown who they are and I think that's really interesting. It's all, I think, behind-the-scenes development, like the workshopping of the characters. So you know what I keep saying over and over about horror movies in particular? Characters are the key. Yes. If your characters aren't developed enough, 
It doesn't matter how cool or bad your villain is. Bad meaning bad, not bad meaning good. None of that matters. The audience will not care what happens to your protagonist and you will just lose the audience altogether. Unless they're just gorehounds. And those people just want to see the bodies hit the flow. <laughs> we need characters that we can relate to. None of us have experienced having to face computer chips that make snakes and bugs come out of our faces. Right. But hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I haven't experienced it. You haven't. Hopefully you guys out there in Podland haven't experienced yeah. anything close yeah. to that. But most of us have had some kind of fighting for what's right in our lives. And that makes us totally able to back Tom and Stacy in this movie. I agree with you. 100%. So, as I always ask, would you recommend this movie? Hells yeah. Obviously, I would recommend this movie. So, we leave you with a positive review, recommendation, and a little bit of history about stuff relating to Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. Good night, everyone. And happy Halloween. This podcast is brought to you by Ouch My Ego. Visit OuchMyEgo.com. But it ain't no Halloween movie if it ain't got Honey, Michael Myers. Honey.